Glenn Miller is a guy we haven't seen seen or heard from much, but uh, we're thrilled that he didn't get eaten by a bear this last week. He was up in the back country, and uh, he's hiked here all the way from Yosemite. So give it up for Glenn. Hey. Yeah, I didn't get eaten by a bear or uh, four months in Zimbabwe, no lions either, so I'm safe and sound. And uh, good to see your smiling faces this morning. I'll greet you in, in Shona this morning, Mangwanani. And uh, you would say, Mamukase, how are you? And I would say, Tamuka Mamukau, I'm doing fine. And uh, you know this song, Blessed Be Your Name, uh, I preached in about 13 different churches in Zimbabwe. And 80% unemployment, 4 million people on the brink of starvation, no bread, no flour, no sugar, no uh, milk, no beef, no chicken in the stores. You can imagine going. And yet people can sing, blessed be your name. Huh? Yeah. So I got to tell you a story. Uh, I don't know if I tell this one at Valley, but I can tell it at NBC. We're a little more looser here, you know. <laughs> Have you heard the parable of the little bird? The little cold bird. There was this little cold bird, and he was flying north or south from Canada for the winter. And uh, gosh, it was really cold, and he was flying, and he just kept getting colder and colder and colder, and so he had to land. And so he landed in a farmyard in, in Minnesota. And uh, there he was, this poor, frozen little bird lying on the ground. But a cow happened to be passing by and dropped some manure on the little, cold, frozen bird. And pretty soon, the little bird started to warm up. He started to feel a little bit better. In fact, he felt so good, he started to sing. Yeah, he was really warm and he was just singing under this manure. But there was a problem. A cat heard him singing, began to investigate when, where the singing was coming from, discovered this pile of manure, the bird kept singing, and so the cat dug him out and ate that poor little bird. So there you have it. The parable of the poor little bird. But, there are three points, three lessons to be learned. Not everybody who drops manure on you is your enemy. Not everybody who digs you out is your friend. And when you find yourself in the manure, keep your mouth shut. You know, life can be like that. Life can be a struggle. I want to talk to you today about a man. A man by the name of Shamgar. So I want you to turn in your Bible where his name is found. <clears throat> Hello. Neighborhood Bible Church. You read your Bibles, you should all know where Shamgar is. How many think it's in the old? How many think it's in the new? How many of you don't think? <laughs> okay, you're going to have to turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read this verse here. And uh, the title of what I want to share with you this morning is the fact 
that you can become a world changer. That your life can make a difference. God put you here for a specific purpose. It's not for yourself. It's for Him. This is His world. It's His creation. This is His church. And uh, we're here to make a difference. Would you agree that the world needs changing? Yes. Yeah. Now look at verse 31. This guy Shamgar is only mentioned in two verses in the entire Bible. This is what it says. After him, that's after Ehud, a left-handed judge, came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now, Shamgar, his name means a stranger. And his father name, Anath, means an answer. And uh, Shamgar, he, he was a stranger, all right, but he wasn't a stranger for long. Because look at this verse. It says that Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat and he saved a nation. Do you find that impressive? One man, Shamgar, you never heard of him, half of you before, this particular fellow, and he changed the world at that time. Now, I want to share with you five thoughts this morning from this passage of Scripture. And the first thought is this, the value of one single life. One guy saved an entire nation. I seriously doubt that he thought that he would. He just did something. There was something in his heart. His people were under bondage. The Philistines were there. And the Israelites had no weapons. Look, if you would, just turn to chapter 5. Flip a page. That's what I have to do in my Bible. And in chapter 5, you have a song by uh, a judge by the name of Deborah. And if you go on down to verse 6, look at what it says. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. So, you can see that the time in which he was living here was a, a desperate time. It was a time, notice, the travelers went by roundabout ways. It was a vulnerable time. And it says, the peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, rose, until I arose a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen. Then war was in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. The enemies had taken away all the weapons of the Israelites. And along came a man by the name of Shamgar who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now, who's the son of Anath? Shamgar. Who's Anath? Probably a farmer. An ox goad was a long stick somewhere between 5 to 10 feet long. On one end was a pointed stick. It was about 2 inches in diameter. And they used it to prod the oxen as they plowed the fields. The other end, however, was a metal piece at the end. And they would use that to clean, well, in back, the, the plow or whatever was there. 
And so Shamgar could probably either use it as a spear or he could use it, you know, this way here. I don't know. We don't know what happened, how he did it. All we know is he killed 600 Philistines with it. One life. In 1952, Madam Chiang Kai-shek was the president of Taiwan. And uh, she was a Christian. And all the soldiers after the war were in many bases throughout Taiwan. And if you know much about Taiwan, it's, it's not a Christian nation. It's a Buddhist nation by and large. And she wanted to reach these soldiers for Christ because she was a born-again Christian. And uh, she knew that the Taiwanese loved to play basketball. And so she invited a team from Taylor University to go. Don Ole mortgaged his house to take the team. The very first sports team in modern day history. One of the guys who was on that team was a man by the name of Bud Schaefer. Bud Schaefer was from Wheaton College. All the rest were from Taylor University. And they went, 12 of them, they played 82 games in a two-month period of time. And they stood up and they shared Christ using a simple basketball. Nine of those 12 guys ended up in full-time ministry. Bud Schaefer now is almost 80 years of age. He still takes basketball teams around the world, mostly to the Philippines, sharing Christ through sports. Madam Shang Kai-shek, one single life. As president, she had a passion and a burden. She believed that Jesus Christ was the only way to salvation, that there was salvation in no other name. And she was convinced that the Taiwanese people needed Jesus. And that's what she did. That was the beginning of modern day sports ministry. One single life. The second thing I want you to realize this morning is the value of common people. You say, well, I'm not a president of a country. No. Who in the world was Shamgar? He wasn't anybody special. God uses common Ordinary people. He uses guys like Peter, James, and John. Smelly fishermen. Huh? He uses David, a shepherd boy, the greatest king in all of Israel. He uses Amos, who was a fig picker, to preach to the nation of Israel. No, he uses common, ordinary people. There are not many wise after the flesh. Not many noble. God has chosen the common things, the ordinary things, and He uses common, ordinary people to change the world, to make a difference. Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways. And so you may look at yourself and you say, hey, well, I'm not mighty, I'm not intelligent, I'm not noble, I'm not beautiful. You qualify. You're right there. You know what they said about the prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah 52 and 53? He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him. In other words, when you saw Jesus, you didn't say, wow, what a, what a man. Look how beautiful He is. He didn't have that. He was just common and ordinary in that sense, in terms of physical appearance. Born in a stable, in a feeding trough, a, a carpenter, no less. Oh, God uses just common, ordinary people who are willing to surrender their lives. Third, God uses ordinary 
things. An ox goad. That's all it was. A rod for Moses. A slingshot for David. A jawbone for Samson. Five loaves and two little fish that Jesus took from a small lad. And he fed 5,000 men and women and children. Maybe 20,000 people altogether. But he gave it up. He used what he had. When I became a Christian in 1974, I said, Lord, all I know how to do is to play basketball and coach and teach. I was a school teacher at that time at James Dick High School, went to Santa Teresa in the fall of 1974. And I says, I don't have much, but what I have, I'll, I'll use. So I've been on 18 different basketball teams around the world sharing Christ through sports. Played national teams all over South America, China, India, Sri Lanka, many countries in Africa. And we stand up at halftime. We say, hey, what's inside this basketball? Nothing. That was my life. I was 30 years of age and empty without Christ. Huh? And then I just share my testimony. What God has done for, for me. And I'd say, have you ever studied the Bible? And we would offer at halftime an opportunity for them to sign up for a free Bible correspondence course. We've had thousands and thousands of people, especially in the Philippines. We've started hundreds, honestly, of churches in the Philippines. From follow-up, from people who sign up for the Bible course, we give them to pastors and they follow up. In fact, in one church when I was there in 1984, a pastor had his biggest baptism. 65 people he baptized. They had all come to a basketball game and they got involved in a Bible study and then they were baptized. Huh? Just common, ordinary things. I, I, I don't know if you know the story about Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks uh, was a professor down at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary for many years, the head of the Christian Education Department. And, and uh, he tells a story about himself in one of his books, Say It With Love. He was about eight or nine years of age, and, and uh, he was out playing marbles. And a guy named Walt, he was 70-some years old. And Walt went to the Sunday school superintendent at the church and said, I want to start a Sunday school class. And they said, we don't have a class for you. If you want a class, you've got to go ahead and get your own <laughs> pupils. And so he, he saw Howie playing marbles and he said, hey, Howie, you want to go to Sunday school? Howie came from a divorced family. Anything was school and it didn't sound good to him. He says, no. He says, can I play marbles with you? He says, sure. Any of you ever play marbles when you were a kid? You know, man, I had my steelies, my cat eyes, my bag. We would go to the you know, school and we would shoot around, you know, and, and we'd win other people's marbles. <laughs> Some people lose their marbles, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and pretty soon, Walt had all of Howie's marbles. And he said to Howie, Howie, would you like to learn how to play marbles better? And he said, yeah. Well... Walt got 11 other boys the same way. And he started his own Sunday school class. And do you know that nine of those boys ended up in full-time Christian service? Huh? Marbles. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's uh, a needle and thread you teach people to sew. You build bridges with people. Common, ordinary things. That's all an ox code was. It was nothing special. But in the hand of Shamgar, he used it 
to kill 600 Philistines. The value of a disciplined life. Now, it doesn't tell us here, I may be stretching this some, this particular point. But I doubt he killed 600 all in one day. You know, one a day, two a day, three a day, four a day. I don't know how he did it. But he kept at it. The world belongs, my friends, to the disciplined. It doesn't belong to the lazy or the apathetic. It belongs to the disciplined. In 1952, our Olympics are about to start, huh? In this, this end of this week, I think on the 8th or the 9th, I'm not sure which. 8th. There was a man in 1952, if I'm not mistaken, who won the pistol shooting contest with his right hand. And then he lost his hand in a tragic accident. And many people would think, well, that's the end of that. Can't defend your title. In 1956, in Melbourne, Australia, he won a gold medal with his left hand. Huh? Disciplined life. Paul says, I buffet my body, I make it my slave, lest after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Yeah, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The disciplined life. I know very few people who have made a tremendous impact for God that did not have a discipline in the Scriptures. Listening to the Lord. How do you know what to do otherwise? Yeah, there's the value. And then, lastly, the value of an unselfish purpose in life. How'd you like to have an ox goad and go up against 600 Philistines who are armed with shields, with spears, with swords, and all you got in your hand is an ox goad, a spear like that, and you go up against him? You think that takes a little bit of courage? You think he was thinking of his own life? No, he saw a need. My people are in bondage. My people are hurting. They couldn't go where they wanted to go, as you just heard in Deborah's song, in the highways and byways. They had to go in roundabout ways. People were living in fear. And Shamgar says, enough is enough. And he did something about it. He used what he had. He had a courageous spirit. He had a disciplined life. He was a common, ordinary guy. That's all he was. But God used him to deliver an entire nation. Now, let me share something with you in summary. This is not in your notes, but I think it will be helpful to you. You hear something like this and you say, yeah, I want to I be a shamgar. I want to make a difference. Just look at your life, and here's what you do. Start where you are. God has placed you in a neighborhood, in a family, wherever it might be. Start where you are. Say, I want to go to, I want to, go to Africa. I want to... No. Have you led anybody to Jesus here? Are you serving people here? Are you ministering to people here? Are you building bridges with people and sharing Christ in a way here? You're, if you can't do it here, you're not likely to do it someplace else where you have to learn another language and another culture. 
You start right where you're at. Secondly, use what you have. What's that in your hand, Moses? It's just a rod. Throw it down. And he threw it down. And it became a snake. Pick it up. And he picked it up. became a rod again. Common ordinary. What, what do you have? What can you do? What do you do well? What can you do to build bridges with other people? You use what you have. And then do what you can. Now, I want to share a verse of Scripture with you. And I want to tie this in then uh, with Zimbabwe. Uh, Patty and I were there for four months. There's a verse in 2 Peter 3.9, and uh, it, it says this. Dave and I and, st- and the staff at Valley years ago memorized the, the third chapter of the book of 2 Peter. And uh, the ninth verse says this. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is not... Uh, ah, now I forgot the, the, the whole verse. The Lord is not slack. The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering or patient toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I have a message that I give on this particular uh, verse. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. There should be within your heart and my heart urgency because we live in a perishing world. This world as we know it is going down. The Titanic, they said that ship could never be sunk, but 1,500 and some people perished. The word perish means to suffer a violent Death. Some of you saw the movie. You saw some of the terror or so forth depicted in that. That's our world. Peter says this world is being prepared for a day of fire. Destruction of ungodly men and ungodly women. There should be urgency. I was with a woman today as I went in at Valley Church. I was greeting the people as they came in and there was a woman in her 80s and she said, I just had a a Jewish friend of mine who died. Where is she, Glenn? I said, well, where do you think? What does the Bible say? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. When you die in your sins, there's only two places. We live in a perishing world. Your friends around you, your neighbors around you, they're, they're, they're going one way or the other if they were to die today. There's urgency. Secondly, there should be compassion because of a loving God. The Lord is patient towards you. He's a loving Father. He waits and waits and waits. And so we should have compassion on people. And then... We should have responsibility because of a forgiven you. You've been forgiven. They was just saying, huh? How many of your sins from Psalm 32? All your transgressions, all your iniquities, all of your sins. Because you've been forgiven, huh? It's not because of your works. You've got a responsibility. Do you sense it? 
when you see people that are lost and hopeless? Now, I can tell you this. Patty and I did not wake up some morning and say, we're going to start Hands of Hope. We're going to start a ministry to orphans. It didn't work that way. We were in Zimbabwe teaching, taking young people there for two months and so forth. And uh, we met a gal in class that I was teaching at. And she had a passion for orphans. She wanted to start an orphanage. And uh, Patty and I bought some land. We used $40,000 of our own money. And we built up this house with another $50,000 bit by bit over a period of time. And uh, we started Hands of Hope. And Hands of Hope, we exist to communicate the love of Christ to orphans by partnering with the local church and assisting the body of Christ in meeting the needs of orphans, body, soul, and spirit in Zimbabwe, Africa, and now around the world. And our vision then is to provide a hope and a family in the future for orphans. There are 15,000 or 15 million in Africa, 2 million in this country right here, the country of Zimbabwe. We have currently seven residential homes where we care for orphans 24-7. We have six preschools, about 200 little ones, three to five years of age. We've got 40-some feeding educational projects, 30 churches, 1,976 orphans that we presently minister to. Here's the first home that we opened up six years ago. I was happened to be there the day before the first eight of these girls arrived right off the street. They were living on the street, sleeping in the street, used, being abused. Here's the second home we opened up. Westgate Church bought the property. $53,000 they gave to buy this house. And here are the girls. Some Six of these girls came with all their belongings in a plastic bag when they came to us. Here are three of our homes together. Uh, Ryan and Amanda Burleson are back here and and uh, some of the little ones in, in front there, they stayed at this place uh, for a week ministering to some of the children that are here. So we teach orphans about Christ. We help them go to school. We give them clothes. We provide daily food for them. We have educational and feeding projects. Here's a pastor that I just met about, uh, I don't know, two months ago or so, Pastor Henry. We showed up at this place unexpected. We just started this project in January. And uh, Pastor Henry lives in this house, two bedrooms with his wife. They have their own children and they have 15 orphans in there. You will not find any beds if you go inside there. That's where these kids sleep. But this is his passion. And uh, when we went there, the kids were playing games, the small little ones. The older kids were having devotions and they were singing songs and uh, they were hungry as well. And so on this particular uh, feeding project, we feed a hundred orphans every single day. We provide them food in three month blocks, mealy meal and salt and beans and capenta, little fish and so forth. So they get a square meal a day, at least, at least one. And they cook this up. This is their main meal. It's called the sudza, mealy meals made out of a corn. They stir it up for about an hour. It's a hard job. And uh, then the children uh, are able to eat every single day and they teach them about Jesus. Ryan and Amanda has some pictures of them at this particular project as well. We don't provide uh, the greens for them. We give them, we gave them seeds and they said, you, we grow your own vegetables. And so they grow onions and cabbage and tomatoes and, and other things like that. You want to try to empower the people as best you can. But we're interested in keeping children alive so that we can teach them about Christ. I met this pastor Sikiani about four years ago and I went out to his village area and he was putting up this, this, uh, 
church with sticks. And uh, when I left Valley that, that uh, year to go, uh, people, they always put money in my pocket. And I had about $1,800 of cash. And so apart from Hands of Hope, when I went out there and I saw what they were doing, I put up a structure from a friend of mine in two weeks' time. Uh, this is 15 by 30 meters. So now if you go there, you will find little children in there, 30 in the morning, three to five-year-olds in a preschool, and 30 in the afternoon. And we feed them at lunchtime. And they hear about Jesus. And they sing songs about Him. And these are some of the little ones. I just got these pictures about two weeks ago from uh, Jeffert Shafamba and, and uh, Garakai, our national director and national administrator. These are some of the kids out in the village. This Pastor Sikiani cares for about a thousand orphans in one way, shape, or form. And uh, we're opening up. Uh, I just got an email. I was gone for six days in, in Kuming, China. We're hoping to buy some land in this September and have orphans in it in Kuming, China with an underground church there. Uh, three of friends. One's a close, close friend of mine in Kuming. who has been there for about eight years. And we want to take especially the girl child, which is the most vulnerable, and especially in China when they're only supposed to have one child. They all want boys, by and large. And uh, so we're expanding to other countries around the world. Um, we have a feeding project in Zambia where we feed 180 children every single day at a Christian school, a pastor that I've gotten to know there. We have a home in Swaziland that we purchased. And uh, we have a blind project. This is a blind pastor, and you can see his kids. They can all see, but he can't. And we care for 20 blind orphans. We send them to a blind school. And then this pastor here, during the months that they're free, or they're off of school, which is April and August and December, he has to keep them at his house because these, these orphans have no place to go. If you're blind, especially in Zimbabwe, there's a stigma attached to it. You're an outcast. There's something wrong with you. And uh, so these are some of the blind kids that we do through Hands of Hope, pay for all of their school fees and so forth like that. And then last uh, November, the Lord gave us a farm. If I don't know if you know what happened on the farms in Zimbabwe, but the farms were all taken away uh, starting in the year 2001. And uh, land is just sitting there. And a guy gave us, a black farmer, not, not the white farmers, but all the ones that got kicked off, gave us a uh, 1,000 acres. But you don't see any buildings on it, do you? And uh, we work with uh, Pastor Timothy uh, Mutatu and his wife Irene. With them, we have 95 children that we school feed. We have three homes with them, residential homes, and they feed 300 at three different locations in a very high-density area. He started out feeding 10 children about uh, oh, 8, 9, 10 years ago. They had four people in the church, and they just started ministering and loving orphans and widows. That's the passion of their church. And so we're partnering on a thousand acres. And uh, we hope to raise some, some maize or corn as they call it there so that they can eat. We hope to have some garden out there. We've already got tomatoes and all kinds of other vegetables growing. The, these are the, the guys that are there. Zarai, he's the farm manager and Benedict is the property manager. And we purchased 60 some head of cattle. We've had 20 some little calves. We had a bunch of them when we had the building team there, Jonathan. Maybe got to see this little one that was born, actually, when we were there. And uh, we had a building team of uh, 15. We had 11 from uh, the United States. Actually, with Ryan and myself, I guess it made 13. And with Patty and Amanda, it made 15. We had two Brits. 
And then we partnered with a bunch of local Zimbabweans from Nazarene Church and people from the local community. And we lived in tents, and we had tremendous outdoor facilities. We had one hole in the ground for about uh, 40 of us that we used. You had to wait in line sometimes, but uh, that's the way it goes. And we built an earth home. You see that peg down in the middle? You take a, a chain from that, and you measure it out in a certain way. There's four bedrooms that you have there. You maybe saw some of these pictures from uh, Steve and Jonathan are both here. Ah, there's the old man out there, Glenn, uh, just to show you I was doing something. And you had to clear away all the grass and things like that because it's an earth home. It's all made out of earth and one bag of cement for every ten wheelbarrows. And you take these uh, this dirt, you can see the size of a hole there, and you have to fill it up. 2,000 wheelbarrows for each particular home. And then you take this, and uh, that happens to be our son, uh, Glenn, there. Took off two weeks of work, as many they all did, of their own vacation time. And then you put it in a pile like this, and then you put a bag of cement in, you gotta turn that over twice, and then you put 12 buckets of water, and you gotta turn that over five or six times. It is one tough job. The people that we had never worked so hard in all their life. And uh, maybe Jonathan here. And here's a picture of the, the guy, Jonathan. You put this stuff in a, in a long plastic tube like that. And then you let, you can see the foundation. You dig down about yay deep and you lay the first of these long tubes. You gotta take this stuff and move it along all the dirt through that. And, uh, there's Ryan. You can see, uh, him back there and you shovel it in. It's a tedious process. And, uh, here's Steve. Steve measured out all this plastic. Uh, give me a four short or an eight long or whatever else. He, he had it down to a science and he taught the, the guys there in Zimbabwe how to do this. And then you have to tamp this stuff down and let it dry a little bit. And then you just keep put barbed wire to hold it together in between, as you can see here. And you shovel it in and it keeps going up and up and up. You plaster it on the outside and up to about 17 feet high. And we built a home and a half like this, and there's going to be between 10 to 12 little orphans in there, hopefully by September, in the three homes, because we taught three guys how to build. They've done three of these now. And um, here it takes the teamwork. There's Patty and Amanda there. They cook for 70 in the morning, 70 at lunch, and 40 at dinner time. wood, outdoors, and smoke. Um, and we just teamed up together. Here's the whole team that we had that uh, put this up in, in a, uh, nine, nine days' time. And this is what it looks like at the end when you finish it. Thatched it all up and it looks uh, Zimbabwean. We want to have 15 to 20 homes on this thousand acres of land. So we're planning on building many more. Maybe some of you will go on a building team. huh? You want to work a little bit? huh? You want to sweat? Yeah, this is this is what we've laid out. We want to have 100 to 200 orphans. We've already planted a church in in uh, January. We've got about 50, 60 people coming every single week from the community. We're going to have a school, farming we're already starting to do, cattle, a camp, a clinic, and skills training for our children. There are 2 million orphans in Zimbabwe. And uh, you may say, where are these little ones going to come from that are there? We don't even know the names of them. But we hope to have 100 to 200 of them. And uh, the gal, actually, that got us started, her name is Francesca. Uh, when Patty and I bought the land almost 10 years ago now, she's taken in, in her own house, six little ones. She went to the hospital because one of her children that she has in an orphanage she runs for 14 little ones was sick. 
And they said, hey, listen, could you take this little one? This little guy, Joseph, his mother was gave birth and she gave a false name and she ran out during the night. And so Francesca took this little guy in, gave him a name, Joseph. The second little one is Patricia, named after my wife, Patty. She was found in a, in a, uh, a gunny sack. These are all under six months years of age. He was found in a, Okuda was found in a gunny sack as well. This little one, Ruta here, her head was half bashed in. She was found in open field and taken to the hospital. And blessing. His mother died while giving birth. No other relatives. And this little guy, Jared, Jared was found with his umbilical cord still attached in a cardboard box at a shopping center. So, I don't know what the names of the kids that are the 30 to 36 little ones that we'll initially have in the farm, what their names are going to be. But it'll be some children like this. Children that are discarded. I got an email last night when I got home from an organization called Viva. And they're saying, we don't know what to do with all the children because they work with children at risk. You get on their website, Viva, which is live in, in, um, in Spanish, viva.org, and you will see on that website how the enemy has ravaged the children of the world. And uh, we are not willing that any should perish. We're a small little organization, low profile, work with 30 churches, just got 12 new project proposals in outlying areas. And so what we tried to do, here's a little gal that was dropped off. She had no name. We gave her a birth date. We gave her a name, Ruva Washi Denai. And what we tried to do, this is a little girl named Lydia who lived on the streets, used and abused. We just tried to love them one at a time in the name of Jesus. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Shamgar used an ox goad to save Israel. We just work here with churches and pastors and people like that to rescue and save orphans. In the name of Jesus. Some of you here have contributed to Hands of Hope that are here today. And on behalf of the orphans in Zimbabwe, uh, they would like to thank you for doing that. Father, we bless your name this morning. Blessed be your name. In the land of the plentiful, in the land of Zimbabwe where they just knocked seven more zeros off of their currency, two million percent inflation where food is hard to find, where jobs are hard to get. But precious people and precious churches, not perfect, just like us here at NBC, use common, simple, ordinary people to rescue kids and teenagers and adults from the hands of the deceiver, from the hands of the destroyer. And uh, so we thank you today for this little insight into a life of a man by the name of Shamgar who killed 600 Philistines and saved a nation. The value of one life.
The value of common, ordinary people. The value of common things and of a disciplined life and an unselfish purpose. Just like Jesus, who did not come to serve or be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for all of us here today. He is the one that we sing about. He's the one that our hope is in. Because you caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. Ah, we thank you this morning. We say, blessed be your name. We say our hope is in you. Not in ourselves, but in you. And thanks for loving us first. We'd have never done it the other way around. And for saving us so that we wouldn't perish. But we could call you now our Father who art in heaven.